Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button. Good Saturday morning. I'll get started here in just a minute. Well, shout out to our um, Hillsborough Church family. They're going to be starting the Bible in 90 Days project. So they will have uh, an adventure. Thankful for Shelly Hill and her family going to go down there for only a couple, three months, do the 9 a.m. service with them. If they're not exhausted and they get back, uh, join the 10.30 service. Um, if you haven't yet and you go on the Facebook page, we pinned it to the top. You can fill out the um, volunteer survey for Sunday mornings. We invite everybody who is a attender, um, member, if you participate in the life of the church, um, take a Sunday to be a greeter, uh, work at the welcome table, uh, sign up for our children's church that will be starting back up in May, um, navigating that the best we can, um, but offering really um, the fulfillment of Jesus' own words, let the little children come into me and hinder them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to be doing that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the happenings. Kind of highlight those again tomorrow morning, um, but want to give an opportunity today to get into a kind of an important study. Let's see if I get the full scripture in front here. Um, Hebrews. I want to start off with a quick, if you ever use the Bible Project, we're going to highlight uh, where Hebrews plays into the scripture story and this new sermon series that Jesus is why we do what we do. The what we do in everyday life, um, when you try to parent, when you try to have a better relationship with friends, spouse, um, be a better coworker, all of that is part of the practice of our faith and who we are in Jesus Christ. So uh, Hebrews sort of pushes into the purpose of Jesus's life on earth. Um, it's sort of overlooked at times uh, with one of the epistles in the Bible because most of them are pretty small. But Hebrew is pretty lengthy, pretty thick, but because it's not from Paul, uh, more of an anonymous writer. Um, but let, let the Bible Project explain it for us, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. The letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2, we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received 
received the Torah and they made a covenant with God where they built a tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians. That's where the name of the letter comes from. We also have clues from okay, chapter 10. This church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, it's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. So let's dive in now and see how this all unfolds. The elevation of Jesus begins in the opening sentence of the introduction. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. So the author is saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. He then makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. These metaphors are making the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is what the rays of light are to the sun, or Jesus is what the wax impression is to the signet ring. For this author, there is no God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the sun. And it's this elevated view of Jesus that's then explored throughout the rest of the letter. In the first section, the author compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angel? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. And so the first warning flows from this very point. If Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah that was delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message that was announced by the Son of God? And not only that, given Jesus' status high above the angels, how remarkable is it that he gave up that high status to become human, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's great humility as Jesus sympathetically joined himself to humanity's tragic fate. In chapters 3 and 4, the author moves on to argue that Jesus is superior to Moses, who led the people of Israel through the wilderness and built the tabernacle. Jesus is also the leader of God's people, but in him we see not the builder of just a tent, but of all creation. Then the author retells the story of how the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them in the Promised Land. And so here comes the second warning. If Jesus is greater than Moses, how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? 
we also are in a wilderness-like environment where we have to trust God for the future rest in God's new creation. So let's make sure that we don't rebel like Israel did in the wilderness and lose out on God's gracious offer to enter his new creation. In so I want to start with those first few chapters in mind. I think uh, they present for most Christians the simple um, dichotomy of know Jesus and make him known. And the emphasis really for all of you guys that, uh, you know, should we be biblical scholars? Should we know everything about the Bible? Uh, you know, I think that's an ongoing uh, practice. I think we certainly see in our world today that we want to get more into the Word so we understand it more completely. Uh, but ultimately, it's to make Jesus known, right? The more you know Jesus, the more you make Jesus known. And the more you make Jesus known, it's not necessarily proselytizing your faith to the people around you as much as it is making those relationships better, right? So if Christ is the archetype of this human experience with the divine, what restores us in a right relationship with God, then we want that in all of our relationships. Anywhere where there seems to be just some dark shadows, some places that don't seem to fit, that don't seem to work, that make us anxious, make us unsure, then that's the, the place in which we want Jesus to be known. We want the light to be shining in those areas of our lives. So that's what the Hebrew writer is, is presenting, is to say, hey, you as early Christians are being persecuted. We get it. Anybody sound, you know, kind of have the alarm bells go off with this? That, uh, the culture in which we live, that it is acceptable on any front. You've heard me say this time and again when somebody says, um, of all the rights we feel are infringed upon, that we need to defend and go to bat for, and you can't say, and as I would say, I think people... Um, feel like they can say anything, which is why it's upsetting everyone, because there really are no limitations on what we say, uh, whether it be swearing, whether it be uh, slang, whether it be derogatory comments um, that we make in jest. Um, but you know the one thing that people still say all the time is they take the Lord's name in vain. Um, even Christians, to be honest, will say Jesus Christ as a, a frustration, not a prayer. Um, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, one of the things that, that Christians could do would be maybe push back on that and go, you know, there's got to be something sacred, and that one thing should be sacred. But it's certainly not on cable TV. It's certainly not in the world today. And, and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying is going, you're going to be persecuted because of your faith. It doesn't fit, right? It doesn't fit in um, the first century. It didn't fit the, the uh, temple culture, the, the Judaism of first century, it didn't fit in the Roman culture. Um, so Christians were pretty much that early um, time of Christianity. They were they were heavily persecuted and imprisoned and beaten. Um, so we sort of asked that question, and then what would that mean for us? Well, I've shared in the past few weeks that I think as a church, it means we need to really kind of you know revisit our priorities. Are, are we passionate about our faith? Or are we going to be relegated to the apathy of the past few decades and just sort of say, you know, it's my private faith um, as between me and God and realize that, um, you know, Jesus never intended for the light to hide under a bush, if you will. Oh, no, no. He intended it to be shining. And if it is within us, then it is that which is shining out before us. And people would take notice of that. So that's what we're kind of getting into with this Hebrews chapter 2. If you get a chance, you should read the book uh, collectively. Rewatch the Bible Project, a great introduction to the story. 
And here's what it says in chapter 2 about Jesus, and certainly that Jesus is greater than the angels. He says, a warning against drifting away. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God delivered through the angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place the scripture says, What are mere mortals that you could think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with the glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. We've not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Hebrews 2 verse 10. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He said, I will put my trust in the Lord that is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I, I'm going to highlight this tomorrow in more detail and, and give some, some notes for uh, a time in worship. But just to grasp this morning a uh, devotional prayer to acknowledge the divinity of Christ that is with God in the throne room of heaven, if you will. And then we mention angels who were the messengers, the word angels, angelos, that is to be the messenger for God, who in the Old Testament often came down and spoke to the people and the prophets, especially on God's behalf, that this is what the Hebrew writer is saying. Jesus is above those angels. Jesus is like God. God is one with Christ, and through him all things were made, so he has to be God. But then he sort of circumvented this, this hierarchy by coming down and becoming one of us. And in becoming one of us, he then played both roles. Well, Paul actually in Corinthians says this became the second Adam, the last Adam. This is a great play on the symmetry of our humanity and, and Christ becoming one of us. From dust Adam was made, and to dust Adam returned. But from heaven Christ came down, and to heaven Christ will return. And while they share in the middle of this, this potent reality of death, that Adam from, death, from, from dust will return to dust, and from Christ coming to the dusty bound earth will also die, but then return to heaven. So this bridge in Christ is made, that by becoming flesh, he becomes the second Adam, the last Adam, the righteous Adam, the one that even though he lived on this earth, was mortal, 
would sweat, would tire, would get frustrated, would weep for his friend who passed away, who would be anxious about his own impending death. All of that weighed upon him. He was fully human. But in being fully divine, he reconnects us to our eternal space. And it's interesting because by that response, by calling us sisters and brothers in his, his resurrection, he elevates us above what Paul again says, we will eventually judge angels. Where angels are helping us now and messengers to us now will eventually become subservient to us. That God has always intended us to be his children, which isn't a servitude only, which isn't a um, patron-client relationship that God says, hey, I created you like the rest of creation. You're subservient to everything that I want, and there's not much you have to say about it. He's elevating us that we can be called children of God. That's a special privilege to have, which is why the Hebrew writer is telling the early Christians, don't lose heart. What Jesus is teaching us and guiding us to do and to live like is ultimately what extends us his grace. And that is far better and far more worthwhile than any of the endeavors we could otherwise have on earth. And we know that there are moments that the darkness creeps in, that the light of Jesus Christ that is to shine forth through us gets pushed back. It gets dimmer with our anxiety. It gets dimmer with our angst. It gets dimmer with our cynicism of the world. It gets dimmer with our expectations of people and politicians and the economy and our jobs and our circumstances. It's easy to kind of let that light and let the luster dull. But then you come back to it and you go, you know what? If Jesus is who he says he is, and if I start there and I believe that he is, then I know that I can capture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this incarnation that is Jesus Christ, who in his life and death has shown me the way to what is absolutely more important than what we see and face here on earth. Hang on to that. However small of a threat it seems to be, that which connects us to eternity by the blood and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is pretty special. So take that with you today, and then we'll see you tomorrow. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.